0: Welcome to Politically Pissed, the podcast that wants to inform you. In Pennsylvania, tis the season to fill a pothole with a Christmas tree.
1: Yeah, close to the yeah, them when we say Welcome to Politically Pissed. I'm here with my co host, Saeed. Hello. And Eris. What up? And Representative elect, Rochelle Galindo. Hi.
2: I am a former Greeley City Council member, and now I have recently been elected to represent State House District 50, which is the only blue seat in all of Red Weld County, which encompasses East Greeley and all of Evans and Garden City.
0: Okay, so um, I think we're going to start this week talking about Daniel Kagan, his retirement. and Actually, there's a couple people retiring from the Senate and the House. or is He's, resigning. The He's resigning. He's well, resigning. The reason that people said he was resigning is because of a bathroom incident. Does anybody know anything about that in particular? I do. All right, well, tell, <laughs> tell us about it.
1: Okay, so the complaint was filed after all the sexual harassment complaints against our Republicans last session. Beth Humenic martinez filed a complaint against uh, represent, uh, Senator Kagan for using what was a women's bathroom. I don't know what kind of bathroom it is, but he was using some sort of bathroom he shouldn't have, apparently.
0: Now, was that because it was meant for women only, or was it just meant for certain individuals? That or?
1: is left up into interpretation. It went to an outside human resources, and they found it credible. However, Senator uh, Beth never picked up the report, and it was never really released in the media.
2: But it was also a single-person bathroom, right? Like, there wasn't more than that one That I don't person. know. Okay. All right.
3: But even then, if it is a single-person bathroom, then what's the issue? Especially when we're talking about gender-neutral bathrooms, making bathrooms more accessible i don't understand how that's really a concern especially if it's one if it's single occupancy well
0: i don't either and i mean to resign for something like that and just leave a position after doing a pretty good job i mean i don't remember anybody having any serious complaints about him or saying he did a bad job i feel like that's kind of a weak excuse i well, feel
1: it was uh vengeance for what happened when all the women stood up against these republicans last year
0: so it's just sort of a shot back at him yep
3: Well, and that's one of those things that has always bothered me is that there is a transparency when people step down from these positions. When we're looking at elected officials, not only should we have information to why they want to run for office, but we should have information for why they are stepping down from their position before they finish the job that they were elected to do.
2: And then looking at the rest of the state, I mean, there's plenty of other senators who are stepping down for various other reasons, like John Kafalis, who is stepping down because he was recently elected as commissioner, and then Matt Jones, yes, who is also stepping down so that he can pursue a commissioner seat in Boulder County. Those are reasonable vacancies, and those are reasonable reasons and transparent reasons why they're stepping down, but, you know, with Senator Kagan, it's just an open question kind of issue
0: but i mean i, I guess my I mean, question i'm trying to get to is were any of the people that stepped down recently re-elected do we know that
2: not to my knowledge no okay well except for maybe matt jones
0: so matt jones would have won and oh is immediately yeah matt stepping jones. down yeah yeah it so seems, matt
2: jones was recently re-elected and
0: why would you run for the election if you're planning on stepping down shortly after or anything like that a waste uh, of a time or waste of something or maybe sneaky trying to sneak somebody else in that wouldn't have won
3: also like hedging your bets it's a little concerning when people are using their public office as a launch point to other offices that make more money, yeah. uh, especially in the case of the people who run for commissioner.
0: Yeah.
2: Hey, now, I was kind of accused of that uh, for coming from the city council. I had to step down oh. um, in order to <laughs> run for state representative, but yeah. that definitely was not my intention. Like I knew that I would be the best person for the job, especially all of the work that I had done as a Greeley City Council member and all the progress I've made.
1: How much did you make as a city council? Not much. Only $800 a month.
2: <laughs>
0: Jeez.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's not yeah. Nothing. That's a
0: stark difference from being in the city.
2: From from being at the state Senate or state well, representative. Well, you're in the state Senate, but I'm just wow. talking
0: about city council members in, in like Denver or something like that. Right. Oh, Denver, Significantly yeah. more. Mm-hmm. You
2: know? Yeah. And uh, people also complain because I, I voted for a pay raise for other council members. I mean, it's uh, illegal to vote for your own pay raise, but you can uh, vote for future council members' pay raises. And it only went up to $1,000 a month. But so that's it's not like
0: you're asking for a ton of money, either.
2: right? But in, in terms of percentages, that was like a 20% pay increase. Mm-hmm. And so people were like, How dare you? And I was like, It's not a livable wage. So,
0: <laughs> but is it a full time position or is it a part time position?
2: Technically, it's deemed as a part time position. But in, a, in any elected office, like you can make it full time. I mean, it's really what you make of it. So you can either do the bare minimum or you can do the most you want to do. I was averaging maybe 15 to 20 hours per week just as a city council member and as well as working full time.
1: And being on Morgan's campaign, you did a triple duty there for a while. Yep. Yep.
0: That's right. You did help Morgan Carroll on City mm. CD6 campaign, huh? Mm-hmm.
2: 2016. Yep.
0: Is that a lot of fun? <laughs> oh,
2: yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: And so quickly just circling back to compensation for um, your time on city council, Greeley, we've talked about a little bit off air, was, is one of the fastest growing areas in Colorado. Home prices are going up. To have a part-time city council, how do you think that was effective? At some point, do they need to compensate their city officials more in order to manage the growth of um, this community.
2: Well that was one of the reasons why I voted for the pay increase to begin with was to attract more working class people so that they could actually afford to do the job. Unfortunately in these kinds of elected offices normal people are just deterred from running for them in general because it's normally wealthy and well-connected people and also people who are retired that have the availability to do this kind of work so being a working class person I definitely stuck out in elected office in any public uh, position of public service is there's a huge portion of self-sacrifice that you have to go through
1: in order to get anybody who's not wealthy and and or old into a position of public service you're gonna need to pay them a living wage i remember having this conversation with saeed and his house on claremont and those those guys were doing laundry in your house and they were just saying nobody should be paid any a dime in the government and you call them (laughs) and you call them troglodytes they kind of are yeah Like, you tried to explain to him how this works, and I was just like, I was so frustrated. I was just listening, and I just was like, oh, God, get him out of here.
0: She's referring to, I had some friends over that don't really necessarily know the political systems as well. And their idea was that public servants shouldn't be paid anything. They should be people willing to sacrifice their time and everything like that. I said at that rate you're only gonna get rich people that are gonna run everything into the ground kind of the way it's working. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I completely agree with you. I think public officials need to be pay- paid a fair wage for their time. And I mean, there there's plenty of scrutiny through the media or whatnot to help control some of the behaviors of people, but yeah, I mean, if you don't pay people, you're not going to get anybody qualified that may know about situations that need to be addressed.
2: That's half the reason why we're, I was scrutinized for voting for a pay increase, which they deemed as a 20% increase, which really it was only $200 more a month, which is not livable at all. And there was a point where I was actually living on my $800 a month because that was my only income. Uh, my only job was as a city council member, being a young Latina outspoken person of color in the city of Greeley doesn't open up a lot of job opportunities for you (laughs) so that's why yeah so actually that's why I had to venture out into Boulder County in order to find a job and it was as a custodial position so very much working class I'm kind of you know happy in the position I am in, going into the state house because being completely transparent as a head custodian in Boulder Valley I'm only making about thirty eight thousand dollars a year and now, as a state representative, I'll be making forty-one thousand dollars a year. So it's a pay increase, yeah. but it's still not that much.
0: So state rep salary is forty-one.
2: Yeah, it was previously about thirty thousand dollars a so, year. So I thought it was
0: before. Yeah. So
2: they um, recently uh, voted for pay increases, which <laughs> I'm sure a lot of them yeah. were scrutinized for. Um, and now, um, anybody elected in this uh, last election and going into the 2019 session will be pay- making forty-one thousand.
3: So now, does that pay increase extend to AIDS? Because the other one that I've always complained about is that AIDS need to have more money, too. The people who support your elected officials also sacrifice quite a bit. And if you want to have people who are of color or from other backgrounds not necessarily represented, the first step in the door for a lot of them is as AIDS or campaign workers. And if you can't pay them, then you're getting the same issue. I mean,
0: right. Do, well, my question for that would be: Do they get paid minimum wage, or what do they get paid? You know? they get paid fourteen dollars an hour. Okay, just so um, a little bit above minimum wage. It was
1: then. horrendous before, just barely getting by
2: by like ten dollars an hour, right? Yeah.
1: So I looked at good times, and I was like, I can make more at good times. Say the hell and with make this. Ago. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, and that's a, definitely an issue that um, has come up because I'm transferring my campaign manager. Uh, who ran my campaign in 2018 into being my aide, and that's a huge issue for him because he's not going to be making that much money. He's going to be making $14 an hour, and there's a cap as far as how many hours a week each aide can work. So like some legislators find a way around that in supplementing their, some of their campaign finances, paying a couple dollars an hour more for their aides. But, you know, being in a top targeted seat, I basically spent to zero. So I don't have a lot of extra campaign funds um, stored away so that I can pay him extra money. So that's going to be extra work on me in order to make sure he's actually able to live. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. I think that's a huge conversation that she is bringing to the forefront Front as far as paying her interns $15 an hour Which is amazing Which is something I think is very vital too Interns are seen as basically slave labor As free workers um, Just to gain that experience And right now The you know, majority of them are college students Who are barely just trying to gain Those some odd hours of experience In order to actually be qualified For whatever job they want to apply for In the future And that's not fair either Forcing young working class people who want a career in politics to basically work as uh, free labor until they actually gain the experience that's required.
0: Isn't that part of the issue? Is like the better the internship, the less it pays? Like the more influential people you meet, or the, the better it looks on your resume the less you're likely to get paid for it.
2: I don't know about that because I actually interned for the Department of Higher Ed in uh, the 2015 legislative session and I made way more than the aides made. So I was paid $14 an hour at that time and now they're increased to $14 an hour. That's interesting, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I think it just really depends on who you're working for and who um, is willing to invest in um, the future generations and our future workforce.
1: Can I delve into uh 2017 when you stood up for undocumented people on city council? Mhm. What happened when, between you and the mayor and I can't <laughs> for, I can't remember the other guy's name, Mike Finn?
2: Just going back, actually, because I was born and raised in Greeley, Uh, there's always been a historical underlining of racism in this community. Uh, Mentors of mine, like Polly Baca, like uh, Charles Archibek, whose uh, place I took on the city council, used to talk about growing up here and there being signs in grocery store windows saying no dogs are Mexicans. So it's always been present in the community. And so growing up here, I never really heard my voice being represented. And there's a huge incident that happened in 2006 at our meatpacking plant, where it was the largest ice raid in the history of our nation, coordinated by our local uh, elected officials, including Ken Buck, who was the DA at the time. I was a junior in high school when this happened, and I remember seeing the impact it had on my classmates, on friends of family, on people I knew it was just detrimental to our community. People are still feeling the effects today. When President Trump was elected in 2016, more hateful rhetoric started to come out against immigrants from DC, and basically just from the ground up. So serving on the city council at the time, I wanted to use my position to ensure that that never happened in our community again, because it was something that was coordinated by our local elected officials. So I decided to present a resolution in support of immigrant and refugee residents because I wanted to build that bridge to ensure that these um, residents knew that there was somebody who stood with them. There was somebody fighting for them on the local level. And we needed to build that bridge of trust so that they're not afraid to come to their local government for help with domestic violence issues, with Whatever issues they're having, um, they can trust that the police are going to help them. So I presented that resolution after an incident happened at the Weld County Courthouse, which involved a undocumented man, two ICE agents, and uh, the undocumented man's mother. So the two ICE agents went to his court appearance, tried to take him away. They were not in uniform; they were in plain clothes. And the mother had no idea what was going on. She was like, why are you trying to take my son? And so they got into a scuffle. Uh, One of the ICE agents had actually elbowed her in the eye. And onlookers actually called the Greeley Police Department to come and help. Well, the ICE agents had detained the man by the time that the Greeley Police showed up. You know, if they had come when they were still there, uh, nobody really would have known who was in the wrong and who was in the right or who these people were because they weren't even wearing uniforms. So that was a safety issue for not only our police department, but for our local community. And so that day we had a city council meeting and I was like, I'm fed up with this. I had already talked to the other council members about proposing a resolution. So tonight I'm going to do it. So when I did, the mayor, Mayor Tom Norton at the time, told me that I needed to learn my job that he had been working in the community for over 50 years and that he knew the community better than me and I had no idea what I was talking about because immigrants trusted them. The other council member, council member Mike Finn, he told me that I was in the wrong community for even proposing something like that. So it was a difficult discussion, uh, mostly because I was being talked over <laughs> by the mayor. and. Uh, fortunately, there were people in the crowd that I had invited to, to come witness what was going on. There was a Facebook Live video and the Greeley Tribune had uh, reported on it. So at the very next meeting, there were about 17 residents to come and speak during public comment. They basically spoke in favor of what I was proposing because they were not blind and they saw what was happening in the community and knew that there was a huge mistrust within the the immigrant population. And I got uh, what you would call a public apology from Mayor Norton and uh, Councilmember Mike Finn. That basically started a whole, I guess, snowball effect as far as getting my resolution passed. So the Human Relations Commission, which is a subcommittee of the City Council, decided to look into the issue. And see what was really happening within the immigrant population in the community. So, they met with various immigrant families, they met with various organizations working with immigrants, and they were like, okay. So, they took six months to do it, came back with a report to the city council with their findings. And with their findings was a proposed resolution similar to what I was proposing. Uh, so after reading all of the evidence after seeing the facts the rest of the council members could not deny what i was saying we unanimously passed a resolution in support of immigrant refugee residents in september last year
0: can you tell us a little bit about the particulars of that like what in particularly were they upset about at the beginning and then at the end of it what were the results that came through that would help people
2: So um, what they were upset about was they basically tried to claim that I was ambushing them in proposing this resolution, that they had no idea that this was something I wanted to do. And I actually had met with each of them individually, having coffee and explaining, like, this is what's happening in our community and I want to propose a resolution. So that's that's basically what they were trying to say and that's why they were upset because they said that even in the video you can see them saying like you're trying to make us look bad and it's like, no, you guys are making yourselves look bad. they <laughs> <laughs> a fine job themselves. Right. But uh, the resolution, I mean, that was part of the argument that uh, Mayor Norton had in not supporting it was because he said that it had no teeth. It wasn't going to do anything. Part of that was just to make a statement to the community. What a resolution is, it's not law. It's not um, any kind of ordinance. It doesn't require any kind of action. It's a statement from the city. And... I really wanted to have that statement created because that would ultimately help build bridges with the immigrant population because there is mistrust within the government. They come from countries where they can't trust their own government. So when they come here and they see that in 2006, the local government took action to deport a lot of them, there's not a whole lot of trust you can see there. So they have a huge reason to be very mistrustful that ultimately was the ultimate effect um you know nothing with teeth no action required but i really wanted to make a statement even having that statement was 10 steps forward for this community because of the integrated racism because of the previous elected officials who never stood up for people who were voiceless
0: okay next we want to move into talking about cory gardner because he will be up for election in 2020 so cory gardner originally came out saying that the Saudi prince had nothing to do with the killing of Khashoggi, the journalist from the Washington Post. <laughs> yep. No, I, and, and his way of saying that, he basically said, we can't exactly trust what the CIA is telling us. And that, I think, is a pretty outrageous statement coming from a sitting senator. He is not on any kind of committee that would get informations or updates directly from the CIA, but recently went on a right-wing talk show here in Colorado spouting these words, and then a few days later walked them back and said that he believes that the Crown Prince is actually responsible because all this extra evidence has come out. But in the same breath as saying that he is responsible, he said that we don't need to worry about ending military aid or financial aid or anything like that with the kingdom. So all of this to sort of say, you know, he's a terrible person, and we need to get rid of him. What is the best way that you might think? You know, being from outside the city, because Cory Gardner's from outside the city, and the people that elected him are generally people like that live here. What do you think needs to be done in order to take Cory Gardner out? Is there anything we could do?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, I definitely come from a rural Colorado perspective, and I do know that uh, he was my uh, con- congressional representative for um, a few years before he actually ran for the Senate. So, you know, I think it, I mean, Corey Gardner is a unique person and a unique politician in the fact that he will say whatever it takes in order to win.
0: Didn't he used to be a Democrat, too?
2: He did. He, You know what? Actually, so I went to CSU. So did he, Colorado State University. And so John Strayer, who was the political guru who organized a lot of internships to the state capitol, recently retired, you know, used to talk about having Cory Garner as his student. At the time, he was uh, in, he was a, a registered Democrat. So John Strayer had dinner with him right after he was elected to Congress um, for City 4. And he goes, you know, Corey, you come from a, you know, huge Democratic family. You know, what made you turn? And so apparently Corey Gardner replied, well, I joined the CSU Democrats. And that's when I realized I'm a Republican. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah So it's it's just interesting And, uh, you know, people in Greeley and Weld County specifically I've noticed historically have tend to re-register as Republican Especially people of color Because they realized that that was the only way that they could win um, Me being a very prominent Democrat here did not take that route because I was not going to compromise my values in order to win a seat um, and that's something you can see with Corey Gardner is he's very much somebody who compromises his values who will literally say anything in order to win and so I think that uh, in order to take him on in 2020 um, we have to we have to present somebody who is viable, who um, has already been doing statewide outreach, who has already been involved in various communities, and who has the proven leadership. Now, me personally, I have to say that I've been been vying for Chrysantha Duran to run ever since she became Speaker of the House. Just because, like, she's an amazing leader. Um, She is reflective of the Colorado community. She's done a lot of work with... Uh, labor. Um, she's been present statewide. As someone coming from Greeley, I judge statewide candidates by how often I've seen them in Greeley before they decide to run for a statewide office. And Chrysantha's been here time and time and time again. She was actually really active in the 2006 ICE raids because she was the labor lawyer for a lot of those union members. So that's that's my little two cents and hopefully we can convince her to run so
0: well i have nothing personal against (laughs) chrysantha duran but you said you've seen her a few times here up in greeley but at the same time a lot of her constituents in denver have said that they rarely ever see her so i mean do you think she maybe split her time too much or is she just looking to move forward i mean do you think that she actually like is a strong enough leader to hold that position
2: I think she definitely is being in the, the the state house leadership, being the former majority leader, being the speaker of the house. Like you have to have a statewide presence. You know, she was working in her district every single day. Right. Because the Capitol is in. Her district, district, so technically, she was very present. (laughs) She
0: was at the Capitol most every time. I I give you that.
2: Um, But you know, I think that being in those leadership positions, you have to also take a statewide perspective and understand different issues that are going on statewide. And I think she took the time to do that, which I really appreciate. And if you look at her uh, tenure as a uh, leader in the state house it's pegged to be one of the most successful and the most productive in the history of Colorado. So I think she does have that leadership and I think she does have that capability to do the work in order to win, especially against Corey Gardner.
0: Oh yeah. Most anybody's better than Corey Gardner. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's good. Any Um, other ideas about who might run?
3: As long as it's not Mike Johnson, I'm good. Oh
2: my gosh, me too. too, As long as it's somebody who's reflective of the Colorado community and reflects our diversity. I can't stress diversity
1: enough. <laughs> there's are some people who are quote diverse that I'm not cool. Not cool. Well, with yeah, ramen. that's the other aspect I was going <laughs>
0: to say too. Is diversity the only factor we're looking for? We're looking for qualified and diverse.
2: I think Chrysanta hits both. <laughs> Does she? Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, what are you thinking, Katya? I don't know.
0: You look like you got something. On I your know mind. you got
1: something to say. I like Jenna Griswold, but I don't know if she can win the seat. Well, she
2: just got elected it's, to a it different goes, office. Yeah, she's just, gotta got to do that work elected. first. Yeah. I got to do that first. But
1: she's, there's something. There's a spark in her. I can't mm. think of anyone. There's a lot of young people now who are coming, like our millennials, who are coming up, and I. As they should be. And I think maybe one of us—not not the four of us here, but like <laughs> one of our.
0: Generational cohort.
2: Well, and I think is young, too. I mean, she's under the age of, what, 36? Yeah, she's
1: like... I
0: don't know how old she is, exactly, yeah. Yeah,
2: so... um, Under 40, yeah. Yeah. So I think she definitely has that young perspective. She has that diverse perspective. So I think that she would be um, very good as far as being reflective of our Colorado community. And I think she can get a lot of people out. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people know who she is. And she can raise the money. Which I think is going to be a that's really true. huge factor in taking on Corey Garner because he already has two million dollars sitting in his bank, <clears throat> and so that's gonna that's gonna be ultimately be the deciding factor. You know, this Lorena Garcia,
1: yes. I don't know her. But I, don't know I don't know her know either. Her. She came
2: down to Greeley, which is pretty great. But it was after, again, she decided to run for statewide office. So I'm like, where were you before? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's
0: a great question to be asking a lot of candidates is where were you before this?
2: Exactly. Yeah. And that's definitely something as a Greeley native, as somebody who is very uh, in touch with the political pulse, Like, I, I, I take that notice. I take that notice very much. So, if you were here before, great. You you took the time to understand my community. If you're here after, you only want to know because you're pursuing something for yourself.
1: I might actually want to see Senator Irene Aguilar.
0: She's knowledgeable about things and she takes her time with decisions.
3: Yeah, no. When I think about people who could potentially run and win, I have more no's than I have like <laughs> yeses at this point. <laughs> right? Like I don't want to see Hancock like no mike i like you no um don't think about it mm-hmm. i know some of the people who are around you listen to this no um, <laughs> you know again no to mike johnson no to angela williams no to <laughs> almost no no to any republican um no to hickenlooper <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah. Definitely no to hate yeah. Them. yeah.
3: So just a lot of no's um, at this point, and it will be really interesting to see who emerges, who uh, can be a yes. You know, Christa- Christa is one of those people who um, I think is a potential yes, but you know, you talk about how they have to come to your community. Uh, I haven't seen Santa come to mine. So <laughs> when you know, those are all the things that I I think we're all dealing with right now, especially when we think Cory Gardner is vulnerable and he it is a winnable seat.
0: Well, especially since Colorado so blue now.
2: State Rep John Cook. <laughs> he uh, recently spoke to uh, the Rotary Club here, um, and he said something along the lines of, people voted this year as if Trump was on the ballot. And that scares him for 2020 because Trump will actually be on the ballot. And I think that's very good that they're scared and that gives us that should give us a lot of hope for the potential of how many seats how many more seats we can pick up and how much better democrats can do overall and so that ultimately makes cory very vulnerable
0: well, i think it's crucial too, almost nationwide because there's more republican senators up for election in 2020 than there are democrats so we have a better chance of taking everything mm-hmm.
1: i think democrats we need to keep our we need to work harder and keep our shit together more than ever. This is crucial these next two years. We can't afford to screw up.
3: No, it's true, right? Like um, One of those things I always worried about Democrats is the whole adage about Republicans fall in line and Democrats fall in love. And some of the people that Democrats fall in love with tend to be people who can't win or people who just don't necessarily represent the values that the Democratic Party says they hold. And that's always just kind of... The pitfall of being a Democrat is there. It's a big tent party where there's a lot of pieces that can fall away.
2: Well, something, and I've always talked about uh, that's the difference between Democrats and Republicans is when Republicans are in power, they use that power and they do as much as they can in the short time that they can in order to push their own political agenda. And the difference with Democrats is like we tend to be scared. We tend to be too scared to act and try to push our political agenda because the Republicans are going to attack us in the next election cycle. That's something that's, you know, I think been very frustrating for my generation in particular because we want to see change. We want that progress to happen. And government is designed to work slowly. But when we have that advantage, when we have those votes, like we need to do something with it. And that's something that I've promised as a candidate to do as an elected official because I don't know how long I'll be in the seat. I don't know how long we'll have these, this kind of majority, but I want to do what I can with the time that we have so that I can say I actually did something to help and improve people's lives as opposed to, oh, I just kept my seat.
0: I, I love hearing that because we do need to do some things. But we had Brianna Titone on last week and she said having a lot of power, there's a lot of responsibility. So that sort of idea of, you know, sort of pacing yourself and being careful about the legislation you push through. I mean, you're you're more focused on pushing through just good legislation as quickly as possible than huh?
2: Well, I want to get the most good done in the time that I have. You know, and that's really what I'm focused on. I mean, of course, we have to work across the aisle. We have to get um, everyone on board. We definitely want to work in a bipartisan fashion, but we also need to ensure that we're doing the best that we can for working families to help them um, have access to the quality of life our state has to offer. If it's doing it in a fast paced way in order to get the best legislation done because we've been held back by kill committees and um, the opposing side, then, you know, so be it.
0: I don't think Republicans will extend the same courtesy though.
2: Exactly. And they don't. And that's something that I think is the difference. Like Democrats always play it safe and we need to stop playing it safe. You know, that's why Bernie had such a big influence in the 2016 uh, election. I didn't support him, but I see why uh, his message resonated with so many people because we're sick and tired. My generation, per- our generation in particular is very sick and tired of seeing people play it safe. Do it because they're not going to hesitate to.
3: Yeah. Um, And so you talk about reaching across the aisle and you talk about having to um, still work with people. At what point do you not compromise? Like, what is your level of compromising with the other side and um, where do you draw the line when it comes to getting bills passed?
2: I think when it's not in the best interest of people or when it's like extreme partisan issues like, you know, Steve Humphrey. He His district surrounds my district My uh, HD50 is like the little Donut hole within 48 And he never really Does anything but the only bill that he Consistently proposes every single Legislative session is the personhood bill
0: Can, can you explain The personhood <laughs> bill for some of our listeners who may not know
2: A personhood <laughs> Personhood bill um, Would define life at conception And that's the only issue he cares about
0: That's fundamentally Like destroying abortion then Right, because it's the idea of once you're a person, if they kill you, it's murder. It's, it right. would
1: destroy birth control.
2: Yeah, and yeah, it, it's Plan B, probably. Yeah, Plan B and um, contraception.
0: Mm-hmm. That's awful. Sorry, that's all I had to say about that. So
2: that's the only bill that he ever runs every single year, and it's like, okay, like these are partisan issues that have already been decided by the Supreme Court. Like, stop talking about it. Like, let's actually sit down and figure out how we can pay people a livable wage. Let's sit down and figure out how we can actually fund our education system so that we're providing a quality education for all of our students so that future generations have the capacity and the education in order to pursue greater careers so that they can provide better things for our future, better things for our economy, and that we're not dumbing people down and have a lack of educated people running our, our, our
0: country. Alright, so I guess we can just go into the interview part now. When did you start becoming involved in politics in the area?
2: I got involved in Greeley area politics when I was in high school actually. I served on the Greeley youth commission when I was a junior at Greeley Central.
0: Um what campaigns have you worked on since then like what's your sort of a uh, resume for that?
2: So I got my first job in politics uh, working on the re-election of President Obama in 2012 uh, right here in Weld County. I was actually the campus organizer at the University of Northern Colorado. I started as an intern, and because I was so great at voter registration, they decided to give me a job for the rest of the campaign. And I was like, cool. And that's actually where I learned a great skill set as far as community organizing, engaging people in the political process, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so when the campaign ended, I didn't want that work to end. So I stayed involved um, locally. Uh, in 2013, the next year, I worked on a local mayoral race um, Against Mayor Tom Norton.
0: Uh, (laughs) Was was that successful? It was not.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, in 2014, uh, the current state rep for House Sister 50, Dave Young, I worked as his deputy campaign manager um, slash Latino outreach coordinator. And then in 2015, I uh, mentioned before that I was an intern for the Department of Higher Ed during the 2015 session. While I was an intern there, uh, and this entire time I was actually still going to school. So um, the first couple years in my campaign work, I was still at Ames, and then I transferred to CSU at some point. So in 2015, I was actually a senior at CSU. And I was interning for the department of higher ed. And that's ultimately when I decided to run for city council, wanted to take my leadership to the next level. I was pretty frustrated in the fact that I couldn't find anybody else to want to run for office. So I said, I'll do it myself. So I did. I was still a senior at at CSU. I was elected in November of 2015 as the first openly gay elected official to the Greeley City Council. And then in December of 2015, I graduated at CSU with my bachelor's in political science. So (laughs) waste no time. I wasted no time. And um, in 2016, I was still working, uh, I was still a a city council member, and that's when I got involved with Morgan Carroll's uh, congressional race in CD6, and so I was hired on as her Latino vote director. Let's see, 2017, I didn't work on any races, um, but I did help a lot with the local uh, Greeley City Council races to ensure that we were getting more friendly faces on the council with me in 2017 actually the summer of 2017 is when i decided to run for state house district 50 because dave young was term limited congratulations thank That's you
0: awesome. what was your experience like running for city council in comparison to running for state representative
2: it was very very different scenarios um so when i ran for city council um like i said i was still a senior at csu so people just figured that i was very very young um i didn't even have a college degree yet so why am i running um but like i said it was really uh, out of frustration for other people not willing being willing to step up and run for office here so you know i had built so many relationships and i had done so much work in the community already with the campaigns I would worked on previously, and actually, I was uh, going through the Emerge Colorado program as well, so interning for the Department of Higher Ed, running for city council, and doing Emerge all at the same time, which is pretty exciting, Um, and I remember going into my first Emerge Colorado class and just looking around at the 25 other women in my class and realizing that I was in such a better position to actually step up and run for office than most of the women that were there. So that's when I you know, started considering uh, seriously doing it. So then I did. And the amount of support that I received from the community was just so awe-shocking to me because I was so young. And I thought I was going to receive a lot of resistance. But because I had built so many relationships, people were very, very much supportive of it. So uh, Mayor Tom Norton, at the time, was actively seeking somebody to run against me. Any person he talked to... There were five people talking them out of it and so I ultimately ran unopposed for the Greeley City Council which was pretty unheard of in this conservative community especially being a young woman of color who was also gay so that's that was a a very inspirational time for me because I had done so much work and people were just all for it that I was elected now cut to the <laughs> state house race for House District fifty, it was a completely different response. Like, uh, you know, I'd done so much work on the city council, I had made so much progress already, you know, that's ultimately why I decided to run for uh for District fifty and take my leadership to the next level because Even as a minority vote, the only Democrat on the city council, I'd still gotten so much work done. So I knew that if I took my leadership to that next level, then I would be able to get a lot more done to better people's lives. When I announced uh, my run... Former representative who held the seat before Dave Young, uh, Jim Reeseberg, decided to come out of retirement to run against me because he claimed that because of my youth, because of my diversity, that I wasn't able to win. I would never win the seat, and we were going
0: to lose it. Was was that in the primary or the general? Par- primary,
2: okay. yeah. So he primaried me, and so I... I took it on, and I just put my head down and did the work, no matter what other people were saying. The surprising thing was, you know, the people who actually rallied around him um, in support of him, which was the shocking point for me in that campaign because, you know, I had proven my leadership. I had already been an elected official. I had done so much work in the community, and none of that mattered because— this old white guy was deciding to come out of retirement to run and he was going to be better fit for the job.
0: Sort of a sense of entitlement, right? Right. Something they say that millennials have a lot of, huh? Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> it's interesting. Sure.
2: And my candidacy by itself just was, you know, a, a definition of, you know, effective change, like especially for this community. There had never been a person of color ever elected to a statewide office from Weld County. There had never been somebody... Um, who was gay and being so young as well. What surprised me is the amount of support that he received. It wasn't as much as me, though, obviously, because I I came out uh, on top in the primary. And then so the general, so it was a really competitive primary. And then the general was even more competitive because it was the top targeted state house race in Colorado. If they if the Democrats were going to lose a state house seat, it was going to be this one um, because it is just so purple. So, um, you know, unpredictable And, you know, me being a candidate The candidate that I am We didn't know how voters were going to respond So, yeah, I mean, I put my head down Worked my m- worked my butt off um, The entire time that I was running for office I was also working full-time As a custodian in Boulder Valley School District So I would work eight hours a day Scrubbing toilets, cleaning up, throw up All of that stuff And then come home and campaign uh, with the little energy that I had. That's wild. Yeah.
0: Well, talk about definitely running on fumes. At the end of your uh, general election, you were neck and neck the first night. Mm -hmm. Did you have to do any curing or anything like that? I mean, you ended up winning by 6%, which tells me there's probably just a lot of late votes, but mm-hmm. you want to tell us a little about your curing process and how that went?
2: Yeah. So I was preparing to do the whole work of curing ballots, um, because, uh, election night was so close. It took three days for the final results to actually come in. And so, um, I was prepared to do the cure, ballot cure, but ultimately, I ended up winning by 1,468 votes, which was ultimately six percentage points. There was only about 74 ballots that were out there that needed to be cured. And so there was no way that my opponent could cure those ballots and come up and take the lead at all. And it's funny because I actually served on a, on a panel with uh, Carly Koppis, who's the Weld County Clerk and Recorder, last week. And she talked about the ballot curing uh, process and how the cure list is so precious, etc. And so I was like, I am so glad that you brought that up, Carly. I am so glad that you talked about the cu- ballot cure process because I was afraid I was going to need that list. But ultimately, I didn't because the results took so long to come in. And she was like, well, people need to vote early. And I go, no, regular people don't vote early. No. <laughs> Well, like, especially Democrats. Especially Democrats. We've
3: Again, we've had this conversation. When the black guy's the only person voting early, there's a problem. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we've had this conversation. We all vote early, but not everybody does.
2: Exactly.
3: People and- vote early, <laughs> please. Do.
2: Um, no, and that's that. I knew that this election would come out and come down to the last four days. The last four days, ultimately, those vote turnouts were going to be the deciding factor. Because I worked so hard in ensuring that we were getting out that vote, it came out on top for us.
0: And you got elected. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about you being elected and some of your policies and things you're looking to do. Mm -hmm. Um, You had three main ones I saw that people talked about for the most part was education, jobs, and transparency. Mm -hmm. So I kind of want to cover those three topics a bit, starting with education how do you propose to improve the education in Colorado, seeing it was ranked as being one of the lowest in the country as far as public education is concerned?
2: Well, I work in the education system. So I work with educators every single day, and I see how much of themselves they put into what they do uh, with the limited resources that they're provided. So I ran on a platform of ensuring that we are providing educators with the resources they need so that we can provide a quality education for all of our students, regardless of the zip code. Now, it's unfortunate that 73 didn't pass because I was really hoping that that would so that the... Funding issue wouldn't have to fall into our hands, but unfortunately, it has. So I'm actually working with CEA to um, figure out ways on how to fund education. I can't talk about that right now, well, but it, it, it details. That's <laughs> fine. But I mean,
0: I guess my my question with the funding part is mm-hmm. going to be: How are you going to deal with Tabor and the Gallagher Amendment with all of that?
2: We can definitely find unique solutions to work around that. And are they legal? They are. (laughs) They have to be, right? Uh, They have to be. (laughs) 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 But it is something that we're working on. It's one of, uh, I think it's the fourth bill that I'll be presenting because I've officially submitted my three bills that are due on Monday, tomorrow, um, December 10th. But uh, CEA and I are working very hard on ensuring that we are looking to fix that funding problem.
0: Seeing as this doesn't air till Thursday, do you mind telling us your first three?
2: Yeah, I can. The first three bills that I'm presenting, one is a local option minimum wage bill, which was was presented last year during the 2018 session. And so hopefully we have the votes now to actually make that a reality, which would allow localities, uh, municipalities, as well as counties to uh, set their own minimum wage um, based on their own local economy, which I think would be amazing.
0: Um, could they not do that before?
2: no uh can you imagine <laughs>
0: no, I mean, I, well I'm, i'd always imagine they can't go below what a minimum wage is set especially by state or federal level mm-hmm. but to go above that i didn't think that was an issue it, it is
2: i guess so so we have to legislate it
0: interesting mm-hmm. what's number two
2: Number two is going to be an ESP bill, which is uh, another word for service workers, Uh, because I am a service worker in the education system, we're going to be working on a bill to prevent outside contracting from taking service workers' jobs with the exception of of emergency situations you know to ensure that we have enough people to do the work but um in non-emergency situations we're going to try to limit the outside contracting so that these kinds of jobs are protected
0: so is it focusing more on making employees versus contractors Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. and then what would be number three
2: Number three, I'm actually going to be taking on workman's comp. So uh, on the doors recently, like I'm constantly hearing about issues that's going that are going on with workman's comp. Either people are not being able to get the coverage that they uh, deserve or entitled to or people are getting fired from their jobs because they're sitting on workman's comp, getting the care that they need. Um, So I'm going to be drafting a bill that will prevent employers from firing employees that are currently on workman's comp.
0: On the education part then, how do you feel about charter schools and d in particular? And I'm going to go towards polis and his education policies because you're going to have to work with him when it comes to dealing with education stuff how do you see that going and what are your plans for dealing with him and that whole situation
2: well i'm a cea union member um i work in the public education system so i think that it's important that our public funds are prioritized for our public institutions of education and so as far as defer and uh, charter schools go Greeley does have a few charter schools I don't think that that's necessarily the right way to solve our education system. I think that reform need means that we need to um, take our public funds and put it in, put it into private entities, which is something that I don't think will solve our education issues at all. Um, we need to look at our current system and figure out ways to fix it, and not creating a whole new entity.
3: Well, also, it's one of those things that, for me, when you look at charter schools, you're putting them in the hands of the same people who historically have created issues within our public education sector. That's always one of the things. And then, of course, for minority students, a lot of charter schools tend to provide pathways for them to go into the workforce and limit their encouragement and opportunities for things like higher education Mm -hmm. um, and those pathways that can lead to jobs that are supposedly more beneficial and ultimately depending on what they choose to go into net more income um, over a longer period of time without the cost of recertification and retraining all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So how would you look at systems like that um, and how would you being part of um, Greeley and having UNC and Ames in your backyard want to see change in those areas?
2: Well, the attainment gap is a huge issue. You know, that's something I learned working for the Department of Higher Ed. Uh, I actually campaigned on ensuring that we were going to be providing uh, apprenticeship programs, you know, because higher education is not going to be an option for everyone, unfortunately. But it's important that we are providing those pathways in case that is an option for people. One thing in particular I think Ames does a really good job at is providing those various programs for, for those kinds of
1: People um, like me? Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> well, and people like me too, you know, like providing those kinds of programs for vocational jobs. Um, it's, still a higher ed- uh, it's still an institution of higher education, but it's also providing people in the community with various options, you know, and I think that's a really good thing. Um, and I think that, you know, Ames does a great job in not only keeping their costs low for their institution, but also providing various uh, job opportunities and, and pathways.
3: And now I wouldn't say that um, a lot of vocational workforce training also doesn't necessarily give people exposure to other areas of higher education that are more useful um, in ways of understanding things like your political system basic sociology and of course it um, advanced writing beyond what's taught in high school so, I've always had the concern that vocational training is great, and I think it's necessary, but I think that there's other things that should be integrated and weaved into vocational training that you would get from more traditional institutions of higher education, mostly because you know a more informed and a more educated populace leads to a more progressive and is ultimately more beneficial to society. But I do agree with you, we do need to do more about our vocational institutions. And Ames is one of the better <laughs> community colleges that we have, you know, especially when we compare some of the other ones where they've inflated the cost over the years and shifted their priorities. Mm-hmm.
0: So we talked about education and jobs sort of together because they do go together. Mm-hmm. But your last point that you said you wanted to stand out on was transparency. What do you think the representative before you that held the position was unwilling to do that you can do? Or is it like meeting with constituents, holding town halls, And what are the ways do you feel you need to reach out and engage the constituency in order to be transparent?
2: I think that Dave Young previously did a great job as far as being transparent and accessible, Um, you know, but that's not always the case for every elected official here in Weld County, especially the county commissioners, especially the city council members. So that's why when I ran for office, I decided to be a different kind of leader than what I've always seen, especially in this community. So when I got on the Greeley City Council, I actually redefined what it meant to be a Greeley City Council member. I was the first to ever ever host monthly town halls and the only one still to ever provide a monthly newsletter in english and in spanish because i think it's important that everyone's updated on what's going on in their local government so now as a state representative oh well actually as a city council member i started a trend so now there's three other council members hosting monthly town halls um following my example And so that's providing the citizens of Greeley um, more access to their local government and so just by being the first I started a trend and ensured that accessibility at the local level so I will continue to do the same thing as a state representative Uh, my first monthly town hall I'm planning in January so I'll start up my round tables with Rochelle last last saturday of every month 10 a.m joe molina's art gallery um and so that's um something and to make those consistent to make them at the same time at a time where regular working people actually have the opportunity to go i think is very important as well and so just to be consistent on that to let people know that your representative will be here at this time every single month um You know, just is inspiring people to engage more and also come and talk to me if they have a complaint or an issue that they want to know about.
3: Well, I greatly appreciate that you're having it in not a police station or not one of those other institutions that discourages uh, minority participation, unlike some of our senators. Right. You know, we've all met the senator who's like, well, it just makes me feel safe or the representative who says it makes me feel safe. I'm like, if you need to feel safe from the people that elected you to office, maybe you shouldn't be in office. But it does discourage participation when you do those type of things. So having it in an open area that is not related to law enforcement, that's not related to institutions people have issues with, I feel like that's great. And um, also having it at a decent time because I don't know anybody who can show up to a town hall at three o'clock on a weeknight.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Again, older and rich people.
2: Well, and, you know, I appreciate you noticing, like, the venue that I, that's the venue that I have normally held my monthly town halls since I started them. Joe Molina's Art Gallery is definitely a community center, is what we like to call it, and um, it's a beautiful place to have people come and visit, but it's also uh, something that I think Joe has um, created to ensure that we have a place to go to talk about these issues, that we have uh, the central location that will be available to various organizations to activists to all those kinds of things so that the conversation can continue and we can continue to do the great advocacy so yeah i mean people will know last saturday of every month 10 a.m joe molina's art gallery that's when my round tables with rochelle will continue um starting in january and then I will continue to ho- uh, to provide a monthly newsletter in English and in Spanish because I know the constituency and everyone needs to be updated about what's going on. And um, I think Dave did a good job somewhat, but I will make sure that goes out monthly.
0: So we're getting close to the end here. I kind of want to wrap up a little bit. I want to ask you, you're, you're one of our first people that's really from outside the metro area, that's really kind of in a rural area. What are the major differences you notice about living in a rural area versus living in the city? Because, I mean, you've spent a lot of time in the city. You work over in the Boulder area. Like, You see a lot of the difference in treatment and amenities and things like that. What do you see that's different, and what do you want to change?
2: You know, there's always talk about the rural versus... Yeah, rural versus metro divide. And I think that, you know, especially as Greeley being, you know, part of northern Colorado, which is the fastest growing region in our state... We're facing a lot of the same issues, honestly. You know, housing is a huge issue as far as affordable housing. Granted, we're a lot more affordable than Metro Denver, but, you know, for people who were born and raised here, who grew up here, who used to be able to rent a two-bedroom apartment for $500 a month, are now seeing that that price is going up to maybe $1,250, $1,300 a month. Traffic. Traffic is a huge issue as well for our community. So I remember being able to drive down 10th Street and it would take maybe five, eight minutes to get from one end to the other. Now it's closer to 15, 25 minutes in order to get from one end of town to the other, which, you know, being a Greeley native, that's pretty unheard of. Like what's happening to our small town? So I think that, you know there's not as as big as of of a divide that people think just because you know you know yeah our economy is more driven by agriculture um you know water scarcity is definitely an issue i think statewide as well so it's like we're facing a lot of the same issues but this divide i mean it it's not i don't think it's as real as people want it to be
0: do you see more of a funding divide maybe like do you guys get less money from the state government or your local government does it Is it able to support you guys as well as, say, the metro area?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we could definitely see that in the education formula and how that's funded through statewide. And, you know, rural areas are definitely disproportionate.
0: Well, you mentioned education. Have you guys gone to a four-day school week yet?
2: Not yet, but that's only because we were fortunate enough to pass a mill levy override in 2017. Um, Before we were able to pass that in 2017, we were actually one of four districts in the entire state that was unable to pass one. So um, we were getting very close to being on a four-day school week. And this was actually our seventh attempt in 2017. So after seven attempts, we finally passed one, which is pretty amazing. I mean, it's a step forward but it's still not enough. Our schools are still continuing to grow and our communities or schools are fighting for a very small piece of the pie. So we need to ensure that we're expanding that piece in order to provide a quality education.
0: Do you worry that charter schools will step in and try and fill that void and take the money out of the system?
2: I think charter schools already have, like we have frontier Academy here. We have university here. Um, we also have Celita del Sol. Now, um, Salida del Sol is actually a bilingual Charter school which Is doing great things for our community But um, they're pretty close to Closing soon too so
1: Okay I'm going to throw out a question Here for all three of you Should and Can ICE be abolished
0: uh, I'm going to go with no It Well it probably embarrassing... should But it won't because <laughs> it's part of The Homeland Security build. I mean it's meant for Immigration issues within the country Instead of on the border There will probably always be an ICE. It's just we need to scale back the sort of scope of it, I guess.
3: This one's a hard one for me, right? Like the United States is a nation of immigrants and those people forcibly brought here and then the people who had their land stolen. So to then prioritize what type of immigrants that we want here is hypocritical on all levels. ICE, the way it operates currently, is appalling, just as other law enforcement agencies operate in an appalling fashion and attack the general public and have eroded the public trust in these institutions. To say that it's realistic that ICE will go away is a pipe dream, especially considering that the times that we've had people in positions to erode the structure of that institution, we have been unsuccessful. However, I think it's worthy to continue to reassess and... Limit some of their capabilities and really look at the priorities that we're setting when we fund these type of institutions that have eroded the public trust that are in the interest of a very small group of people.
1: And Rochelle.
2: <laughs> I think that ICE should be abolished. I think that it can be abolished, But I don't think that it will be abolished anytime soon. It's a statutory creation. It's a statutory Mm -hmm. department that was created after the 9-11 attacks. It can be removed statutorily as well. I mean, realistically, it could be. But to say that it's doing a good job, like, it's not. It's working in very, very intrusive and inappropriate ways in order to... Uh, obtain and detain uh, undocumented people. I've seen it firsthand, obviously here in my battle um, with immigration rights in the city of Greeley and as a city council member. And I have consistent arguments with my police chief, with the sheriff for Weld County, just because they believe that some of the tactics being used by ICE are constitutional and they're absolutely not. You know, in order to obtain somebody, in order to detain somebody, you need a warrant regardless downright you need a warrant they don't always have one
0: or probable cause probable
2: cause and they don't always have it you know i've never been a big fan of ice i think that statutorily we can remove them and we can get rid of it or we can change the way that they're actually
0: operated do you think at a state level you can do anything to help like combat their tactics
2: Absolutely, we can uh, create state law that can kind of restrict and limit their activities within our state. For example, preventing um, local uh, police departments um, from being deputized as ICE agents and preventing them from doing that kind of work and cooperating with them of course so yeah i mean it's definitely a discussion that i've had as a city council member and hopefully we can continue those kinds
1: of actions at the state level i will work on your on your next re-election i will give you 20 hours a week if you help create a bill to not abolish ICE but to limit ICE's power yeah here here
2: Oh, I've been working with the Colorado Immigration Rights Coalition to see how I can help in any way because I knew that was on their legislative agenda when I talked to them last year. So hopefully that will be a future legislative agenda this year. So I will be an advocate for immigrant rights in any which way I can because they are the most vulnerable in our community and there's a huge population in House District 50 specifically and I've always wanted to be a voice for the voiceless and that's how you make effective change.
1: You still got my 20 hours a week. I hear that, <laughs> and I will hold
0: you to it. <laughs> you should, you should. Okay. We're going to move to final thoughts. I guess my final thought today is going to be about uh, Polis' transition team. In particular, I want to talk about his uh, taking on Jen Walmer. as part of the transition team and sort of his, his approach to education in general. I'm not a huge fan of it. Uh, I feel like he promotes – defer and charter schools in some manners and I, uh, I oppose that I think we need to focus on good local public schools for everybody not just certain classes of people so that would be my final thought is uh, I don't like Polis's education policies
3: great no that's um, a good one and on the note of education um, of course I think I've mentioned this once before and if not then I'm remiss the University of Colorado and Colorado State University are both going through their presidential searches Um, The committees have been assembled, and they are not representative of the people who need access to these institutions. Each president of the university has seen each institution grow tremendously and have have done a relatively good job. However, it is time for us to have a broader, diverse pool of candidates, somebody who is more about the business of quality education and outreach, and who can still provide the funding support that we need at these um, state institutions. So, this week I would like to say a fuck you to transparency. Because apparently there's none, and nobody wants to actually be out there and say, hey, these are all the people we want to interview. These are all the people we actually want. And here's the members of the community who we've selected and the backgrounds of them, so you can understand how they are going about making this decision. So, really, the fuck you to transparency has been done by both these institutions in this case. And it saddens me.
1: Michelle Obama. (laughs) What did George Bush give you? I'm not quite sure that was a mint.
0: It was one from Colorado.
1: It Well, could be. (laughs) My condolences to the Bush family, but enjoy, Michelle. So
2: this is actually a... An interesting thing Because there actually has been something That's been swirling in my mind For the last week or so And it's mostly been around gratitude You know people go through everything There's a lot of things going through People's lives and we never really know What um, what issues they're facing Or what pain they're in Etc And so I've been looking at my life lately Just you know be, This being the second elected office Before um, the age of 30 for me Um, You know, being able to make history in my community, um, ensuring that we have the leadership that actually flex it, and then just seeing all of these opportunities and doors opening to help me along that way. Like, you know, I'm going to have to find a place in Denver in order to stay there for 120 days of the year. It kind of fell into my lap at an amazing price and um, amazing opportunities. So just seeing all these things happen, I'm just trying to look around and continue to be grateful. So I think gratitude is my thought of the week.
0: Well, we're gracious for everything you've done and for joining us here today. And that's it for Politically Pissed. Uh, we appreciate your time. Does everybody want to say goodbye?
1: Thanks for having us.
3: No, thank you for having us. And uh be easy, y'all. Yeah.
2: Well, thank you guys for coming to my humble home and uh, meeting my dogs and taking the time to chat. <laughs>